packed the guys in, you could probably get 15 people in one of those boats. And these guys were pros, and they'd been on this sea hundreds of times in their life. And they'd been there in the middle of the night because some of the best fishing happened in the middle of the night. And as they started to go across that 13-mile journey from one end of the shore to the other in the Sea of Galilee, a huge storm just came out of nowhere and started buffeting against their boat. I mean, you can imagine wind and waves and water rushing to your face, but you couldn't see anything anyway since it was pitch dark, uh, three in the morning by this point in time. And inevitably, the question had to come up because all of the disciples would have been asking it, whose idea was it? that we crossed the lake in the middle of the night. You guessed it, Jesus's idea. And you wonder if there was a conversation that happened back and forth. Man, we've been trusting that guy with an awful lot. Is he trustworthy? Because it certainly seems like this little boat is going down. And it was at that point that they looked out, the pitch darkness, shining through the pitch darkness was what looked like a ghost. <laughs> ghost? And out of the darkness comes a voice. <laughs> Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And if you're one of the disciples, you might have shouted back, that's easy for you, Jesus. You're not the one seeing a ghost or somebody walking on water, either way, it's a bit frightening. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And the next thing that happens is shocking. I mean, I, I for one, am so glad. Peter gets a bad rap, but I'm so glad Peter's there. Anytime you start to get down on Peter, just remember, he's one of only two people that have ever lived that have ever walked on water. So don't slam him too quick, and we wouldn't have nearly the humorous stories that we have in the Bible if it weren't for Peter. Lord, if it's you, if that's really you, I know that you've said it's you, but if it's you, <laughs> command me to come out onto the water. Come. Come. Not. Peter, I want to assure you this is Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah, the long awaited King of Israel. Here's my ID. Here's my driver's license. Let me give you just a few things that only you could know that I'm about, Peter. I want to assure you it's me. None of that. None of that. Just 
And I can imagine Peter getting up onto the edge of this little 15-person fishing boat. Pitch dark. Wind, waves, getting ready to step out of the perfectly good boat that seems to be holding up, even in the midst of the storm, into the middle of the sea. I wonder if he's thinking as he's stepping out, how sure am I? (laughs) Sounds like your voice, but I'm not so sure. We rush to the end of the story. We know the end of the story. But think of the questions running through Peter's mind as he's stepping out of a perfectly good fishing boat in the middle of the night into the middle of a sea that's raging. Jesus, is that you? Is it really you or did we eat bad pita? Right? Is it, did I really hear your voice or is it just my voice? Or maybe it is a ghost. I don't know. Nobody else in the boat seems to be jumping out. Just Peter. And I think this story speaks to our modern predicament because I think there's two questions Peter has to wrestle with. There's two questions that we have to wrestle with. Number one, in light of my current life, my situations, the challenges, the opportunities in front of me, what is God saying to me? And secondly, how do I know it's God and not just bad pizza? Or how do I know it's God and not just me. See, discerning God's will is grounded in hearing God's voice. So if you've been coming over the last few weeks and you've been um, engaged in this message series we're doing called Life is Amazing, you know that we started out by saying that, that we hear God's voice only through surrender. We hear God's voice when we hear God's wisdom. We hear God's voice through the inner confirmation, the Spirit's work in our life. We, we hear God's voice through opened and closed doors and through circumstances and through God's provision. And today I want to talk about the question that's probably in most of your minds. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff is really, really good, Ryan, but how can I know for sure if God is actually speaking? Or if I'm just hearing my own thoughts and my own voice or somebody else's voice, or maybe I just ate something that didn't agree with me, and I'm hearing voices. How do I know? How do I know if it's God's voice or if it's mine? This man named John, he walked up to Mother Teresa one time, and she was praying for people, and he said, "Um, Mother Teresa, will you pray for me? She said, I'd love to pray for you. What do you want me to pray for? And he says, I would like you to pray for clarity. And she says, no. And he responded, well, Mother Teresa, you've had clarity your whole life. I mean, look at the way that you followed God and the way that you've served God and the way that you've loved God. And Mother Teresa responded and she said this, I have never in my whole life had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you have trust. And so what I don't want to do is make it seem like at the onset of our time together today that I'm going to give you the surefire way to always know that you have heard from God beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
What I do want to do is teach you what the scriptures say and how you can have confidence that you have in fact heard from God and that you can have enough confidence to step into it and experience it and see for yourself whether in fact it is God speaking or maybe you just ate some bad pizza. John chapter 10. If you have your Bible, will you turn there with me? John chapter 10. And Jesus is going to teach his disciples and those listening in, how they can hear God's voice and have confidence that it's him. Verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So he's saying, like, like, if you hear the voice of Jesus, it's got to come in the way that the Father said it would come. He's pointing to himself, verse 2. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He's brought them out all his own. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus makes a few important statements in these few verses. Number one, God is speaking. Number two, we can learn how to hear. It's not a given, but we can learn how to to hear. See, the enemy would love to undermine either one or both of those statements, either that God is in fact speaking or two, that you and I can learn how to hear. But here's the truth of the matter that Jesus wants to draw out. God is speaking and we should expect to hear. We should expect to hear. We live in a God-bathed world. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is teaching the philosophical elites of his day in the Areopagus, and listen to what he says to them. He says, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So, so God decided where you would be born. God decided what family you would be born into, what time period you would be born. And you go, okay, why would God have such a unique hand in all of those things? And Paul goes, just wait, I'll tell you. That they should, say it with me, church, seek God. It's not in yellow, Sorry that they should seek God and perhaps, perhaps, feel their way to him and find him. In some translations, it's like that they would grope for him, like looking for him in the dark. Lest you think he's playing hard to get, yet he's not actually far from each of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have even said, for we are indeed God's offspring. Like he's closer than breath. Take that in for a moment. Father Richard Rohr says, we cannot attain the presence of God. We are already totally in the presence of God. What's absent is our awareness. So friends, lean in for a moment. This is not intended for the spiritual elite. 
This is not intended for the pastors and people that work at a church. This is intended to hear the voice of God is God's desire for every single apprentice of Jesus, every single person, that we would learn how, expect to hear his voice, and learn how to hear his voice. In a recent study that they did, they found out that teenagers in our day and time have a 30% higher hearing loss than teenagers in the 80s and 90s. 30% higher. And what they found is that it's primarily because of the way that we put speakers into our ears and pump volume into our brain. There's probably a more scientific way of saying it, but that's the bottom line. Likewise, theologian Jean Walgrave said, our age constitutes a viral conspiracy against the interior life. It's not just our physical hearing that we're losing. It's our soul hearing. It's our heart hearing. God is not speaking any quieter. We are just having a harder time hearing because of the assault that we do on our own souls in the digital age. So the question that you might be wrestling with is, okay, well, why is it so hard to hear God? And I'm going to try not to get lost in the weeds here. I'm going to fly through this. But here's five reasons that it's hard for you and I to hear God. And if you're following along today, I'd encourage you to write these down, and you can go back, and you can revisit them. This, is, this, uh, this morning is going to sort of be, in our last uh, Life is Amazing message, it's going to be a sermon that meets a seminar and has a baby that we're going to call this morning, Okay. Why is it sometimes hard to hear God? Number one, sometimes it's hard to hear God because God is hidden. Intentionally so. We read this in the scriptures that that there are moments where God pulls back. He's not absent. And he's not playing hard to get. But there are things that he will teach us through absence that he cannot teach us through presence. And so for moments and maybe seasons in our life, it will feel like God is silent. God may even be silent in order to refine our faith and teach us in the depth of our soul something that he could not teach us through his presence. Second, God is often silent. I hope you don't take this the wrong way because we are narcissistic. And so it's not that God is silent, actually. It's that we have a hard time hearing him because we come to him with our agenda. God, here's all the things I need fixed. God, here's all the things that are broken. And hear me, God genuinely does want to hear those things, but when we stand before God preoccupied with self, we see very little of what's actually there. So if all I see is me and my need, I miss out on the vast landscape of all that God might want to do. See, even our searching of God's will is often motivated by ego and self-interest. So let's just call it what it is. Um, Third, pragmatism. Friends, this is the air that we breathe. If it works, it's good. If it doesn't work, it's not good. If it works, it's worth our time. If it doesn't work... It's not worth our time. Here's the problem with that when it comes to relationship with God. Very rarely is there a direct correlation of ROI between time spent with God and something that's yielded out on the other end. And so many of us have given up on trying to hear God's voice because it hasn't produced what we hoped it would produce in our pragmatic age. We've gone, I'm out. 
I'm out. Thomas Merton was once asked, what's the greatest spiritual disease? His answer, efficiency. Dallas Willard said, our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in generally want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. Fourth, hurry. As one theologian said, and they're all running together in my mind right now, so I apologize. As one theologian said, um, we have a hard time hearing God, not so much because of our badness, but because of our busyness. Oh, man. Um, The other night, we had this family night, and we were watching Survivor as a family to the glory of God. (laughs) And I had been over at the seminary Monday and Tuesday and preaching and teaching over there. And so I was in like work mode during family night. And I'm sitting on the couch and I'm sort of watching out of one eye, but mostly I'm just working, trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to say this morning. Okay, so I am on the couch sort of cranking away and Kelly and I go and we put the kids down and we get back down onto the couch. I pop my laptop right back up and start working again. And I glance over at Kelly and I get that look from that only a wife can give to a husband Um, like, you're in trouble. And I'm like, what's up? And she says, nothing, which you know doesn't mean nothing, right? And so I, I don't know if I closed my laptop or I at least looked over it and I said, what's, what's going on? And she said, you're like in a totally different world. Like you missed time with And I wonder how many times if we were to just glance at God, he'd give us that look. Like, seriously? Like, that's, that's more important than me? And hurry can cause us to miss some of the most beautiful things in our life. So, so catch this with me, friends. We, and, and I'm a pastor, I'm prone to hyperbole, but I do think that we are in the most busy and frazzled generation that has ever existed, or at least one of them. We are busier than ever, and lean in for a moment, we are more bored than we've ever been. We are more busy and more bored than we have ever been. We are going, 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 and we have this sneaking suspicion in our souls like we are not doing nearly enough. Something in us is broken. It's broken. And finally, sin. In the same way that an argument with a friend or a spouse can cause you to just sort of miss each other. Have you ever had those seasons where you're just going, man, I'm just, we're just missing each other? Or maybe you're in a fight and it's just hard to hear each other. When we live in willful defiance against the way and shalom of God, catch this, it's hard for us to hear from God. Like if we don't want his will and we don't want his way, we shouldn't expect to hear his voice. As Teresa Avila said The interior castle of our souls is under attack. So yeah, we should expect to hear God, but we should also admit that there are some challenges in front of us. Yes? Okay, maybe two of you. Wonderful. The others are distracted. That's okay. It's okay. So the question becomes, how do we learn to hear his voice? Verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens 
the sheep, say this with me, friends, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Kenneth Bailey, the great New Testament scholar and teacher in Lebanon for four decades, says that there's this picture that Jesus is painting that's lost on us city folk. See, when a shepherd would lead his flock of sheep to a watering hole, typically there would be six or seven flocks at that same watering hole because water was scarce in the desert. I know that's hard to believe. And so they would gather around these watering holes and he started to ask questions about, well, how do the shepherds know which sheep are theirs and how do you keep the sheep separate? And somebody said to him, you don't need to keep the sheep separate. All the shepherd has to do is step back from the flocks at the watering hole, play his little flute or do his shepherd call, and his sheep know his voice. They follow. It's rightfully pointed out that sheep are some of the dumbest animals to live on the face of the planet, but they've got one thing going for them. They know their shepherd's voice, and you can learn your shepherd's voice also. You can learn how to listen. Question, did the sheep always know this shepherd's voice? No. Bailey tells a story in his book, The Good Shepherd, about a sheep that was um, transferred from one shepherd to another, and it took him about three weeks, the sheep, of being anxious. Every time the shepherd called, this sheep's four legs would just shake until he finally, about three weeks in, started to recognize, okay, that's my shepherd's call. That's what my shepherd's voice sounds like. We assume, we assume incorrectly, that if God were to speak to us, we would know what his voice sounded like. We wouldn't, unless we've learned it. We wouldn't. Um, in the same way, you can read the story, First Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's a kid in the tabernacle, and Eli is the old priest at this point in time, and Samuel starts having these dreams, <laughs> wake him up in the middle of the night, and he starts going to Eli saying, hey, did you, did you call me? Like, what's the deal? It happens three times until Samuel finally goes, or Eli finally says, what might be going on, I'm not sure, but what might be going on is you might be hearing from God. He didn't know it was God's voice. He had to learn how to be attentive to the voice of God. And we've got to learn the same thing. So how does God speak? I'm really glad that you asked that question. I want to draw out three primary ways that God speaks. And these all come from the scriptures. Here's the way God speaks. One, God speaks uh, within. Within. This might be through a, a prompting from the Spirit. I, I got one story in this series from uh, a friend, Matt, and he said, I was praying about what God would have me do um, in response to Family Promise, the one that we hosted last time. And he said, I just got this sense that God said, um, bake a loaf of bread. So he did. Bake the loaf of bread. And God, what do you want me to do with this bread? Um, I just want you to give it to Lydia, who runs Family Promise. Okay, God, I'll give it to Lydia. And one of his points was, man, 
Like, we can talk about God's will being moving across the country. We can talk about God's will being starting a new business. We can talk about God's will in, in a relationship. And certainly, God's will influences, impacts all of those things. But it can be as simple and everyday as bake a loaf of bread. Prompting from the Spirit. Or maybe, like, have you ever had this, like, this sense as you're going throughout your day, I just need to send so-and-so a text message, or I need to give them a call. And sometimes you act on that, right? And then sometimes you ignore it. Part of what I want to do today is say, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. The only way to know if it's God speaking to you is to actually step into that moment, because we learn God's voice by experience from experience of him speaking to us within. Remember, God is at work within. We talked about this last week. To work and to will according to his good pleasure. His spirit, friends, is powerful. And listen to what it says the spirit of God does in our hearts and in our lives. And just for clarification, when I say within, it doesn't necessarily mean an audible voice. It can be an impression. It could be a hunch. It could be, God, I think this is what you're doing I'm going to step into it. Here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit teaches. The Spirit counsels. The Spirit gives words when we don't have them. The Spirit brings things to remembrance, and He convicts. And, and most of these things probably happen in, in inaudible ways, but certainly very real ways. Don't diminish real to audible, please. Please. Second, how does God speak? So there's a prompting from the Spirit within. Second, from without. There's three primary ways that, the, that God speaks from outside of within. Um, number one is through the Scriptures. And the other two are way, way, way down the list, okay? So please hear me. The number one way God speaks to us that's not just from His Spirit that lives inside of our lives is through the Scriptures, but also, he speaks through creation. We started our call to worship with Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no language on earth where he is not understood. Yeah, so creation. And then through other people, right? So you might be here at church and somebody has a prophetic word for you. Wonderful. Or somebody just has a word of encouragement for you. Or you sense, I just think that I need to go say something to that person. And it can be a way that God speaks. But scripture is the primary way. And listen to Frederick B. Meyer as he says. He, I think he just puts it so well. He says, the written word is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and attention is fixed. If you um, got a service guide when you came in, there's an uh, outline that you might be following along with. And if you are, can I, can I just invite you to turn that over? And if you're not following along, you're not a note taker, that's fine. Everybody learns differently. But I'd encourage you to take this home with you. This is called Steps for Practicing Lectio Divina, simply a way of reading the scriptures that the church has used for generations. But it's a way to read the scriptures that might be a little bit different than you're used to. There's three primary ways people read the scriptures. Number one, people read the scriptures and they study the scriptures, okay? 
So you have commentaries out, you have word studies out, and you're going, what does this word mean? And how does this fit with the bigger story of God? And, and we're doing theology as we read the scriptures. And, and typically, as, as Westerners who are entrenched in rational enlightenment thought, we think that's the only way to read the scriptures. I can just tell you, it's not. It's not. Okay, second way we read the scriptures is what I would call the flyover approach. You just read them to just sort of get them in your soul. You're not studying them, though. This is like Bible in 90 days. If you do the Bible in 90 days, you are not studying the Bible. You're reading the Bible, and there's a difference. Both are good in their place. But third, there's an approach that the ancients have used called Lectio Divina, sacred reading, where they just simply read the scriptures in a way, not where they stand over them to try to figure out what they say, but where they stand under them to say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me through them? Where we read the scriptures, but maybe more importantly, we let the scriptures read us. We ask the Spirit to draw things out. It's the Spirit of God, the within, interacting with the scriptures of God, the without, that make this beautiful, beautiful explosion in our lives. Finally, around, around. Within, Spirit, without, oftentimes, scripture, creation, or people, and around. This is simply the circumstances of everyday life. I love the way that Liz Diddy put it in her wonderful book, God's Many Voices. Here's what she says. A circumstance can be any connection of events that's not easily explained, and those occurrences tend to spark wonder and excitement. Scientists and saints alike are fascinated by coincidences, but they think about them differently. Coincidences are just as often an invitation to prayer as they are an answer. So God, see, I've been praying about this, and God, this thing came into my life, and God, I'm not exactly sure what to do with it, and so Jesus, show me. Is this you speaking, or is this bad pizza? Which one is it? Which one is it? So with all of this, let me just, um, a, a word, a pastoral word for you. Um, oftentimes, we will step into a situation and it will become clear to us that, or at least we'll think that we heard God's voice wrong. And then we start to think, well, if I heard God's voice wrong here, I haven't ever heard God's voice right ever. And I just want to tell you, how, how insane would relationships be? Is if, if your friend said something to you and you misunderstood it and then started to think, well, I've never understood anything you've ever said then. No, no, no. Communication, we can hear wrong, we can, God doesn't say things wrong, but we can often be in a place where we just hear what we want to hear. It's not really his voice. But that shouldn't stop us from seeking to learn through experience how to know when God is speaking so that we can, like his disciples are intended to do, hear his voice and respond to his call. Verses four and five. Here's what he says, Jesus when, he's brought us out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Get the picture? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. If you read through this whole text, there's going to be three characters that also have voices that aren't of God. Strangers, thieves, 
and robbers. And they can either be, in this text, they, they either are of secular sort of institutions or they can be religious voices that are saying, this is what God is like, this is what the way of God looks like, and Jesus says, they're thieves, they're robbers, do not listen to them, you're my disciples, I'm your good shepherd, don't let them take you astray. So the question becomes then, not only are we expecting to hear God and learning to listen, but we also need to learn how to discern, God, what's your voice and what's the voice of another? Jesus seems to think that that's really, really important. Early followers of Christ, they had what they called um, this approach to the spiritual life that they referred to as the discernment of spirits. Sounds a little bit like, woo, but um, here it is in 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, and he's going to define what he means by that, so just hold on. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, so so here's what he's saying, that this spirit, the testing of spirits is actually the voice of false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. So how do we know? How do we know if something's the voice of God or just bad pizza or bad theology or a thief or a robber or a stranger? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. What does the voice do with Jesus? What does the prompting do with Jesus? What does the hunch do with Jesus? It's interesting. When they, when they train federal agents to, de- to try to detect counterfeit money, they actually don't show them counterfeit money. They show them the real thing over and over and over, and over, and over, and over, and over, until they're able to go, that's not real. Not because I've seen a bunch of fake money, but because I know what the real thing looks like. So what does the real thing look like? What is the real voice? Well, the real voice of Jesus, please stand up, okay? Let me show you. There's three things. I'd encourage you to write them down. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had what? Authority, not as their scribes. There's a certain, you might write down the word quality. There's a certain weightiness to the voice of God. That when God speaks to us, there's just something about it that carries a different type of weight than other voices or our own thoughts. Here's the way that E. Stanley Jones puts it. He says, perhaps the rough distinction is this. The voice of the subconscious argues with you, tries to convince you, but the inner voice of God does not argue and does not try to convince you. It just speaks And it is, in and of itself, authenticating. It has the feel of the voice of God within it. So we may just have this sense, like, that we just can't shake what we've heard. There's a weightiness to it. There's a beauty to it. Second, second. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom that's from God, which is the only kind of wisdom, is first pure and then peaceable. It's gentle, open to reason. Don't you love this? God's wisdom 
is open to reason. Test it out. Try it. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's a sense of confidence and joy and peace when God speaks. But lean in for just a moment. Lean in, please. Because I feel like in our cultural moment, as we've seen a bunch of pastors at large churches fall, there's part of me that goes like, how did we, how did we miss it? Their voice never sounded gentle. It sounded harsh. It sounded condemning. It didn't sound like the voice of Jesus. Jesus' voice, catch me on this, hear me on this, please. Jesus' voice is not the voice of a bully. He's not threatening. He's not coercing. Even when he draws out something in your life that he's inviting you to change, it's not, okay, okay, I'm just going to preach for a moment. When the Spirit speaks to us, the Spirit does not condemn. That's the voice of the enemy. When the Spirit speaks to us about something that's off in our life, it's a voice of conviction, and it carries with it an invitation. Here's where you're going wrong. Here's where you're going off. Repent. Change your mind. Change your life. Believe the kingdom of God is at hand, and you can enter into it any moment you want to. But it's not, you better. It's not the base of it's not the voice of fear. It's not the voice of coercion. Even when we talk about repentance, there's a type of godly grief that produces repentance and leads to salvation or healing. And there's also this worldly grief, the voice of the enemy, that just leads you to this cul-de-sac of guilt and shame and death. Hear me. God's voice is not the voice of a bully. God's not going to crowbar you into doing something that you don't want to do. He's the good shepherd. He's just going to stand in front of you and go, there's a better way. You want that way? I'd love to lead you to that way. I mean, just read the rest of the text. There's number three. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the wolves come, the good shepherd doesn't flee. The good shepherd sacrifices. The good shepherd loves. The good shepherd, lean in, knows your name. Doesn't call you hey guy or hey gal or pal. It's Ryan. I've got a word for you. So there's this content. There's a content that God's word carries with it, God's voice carries with it. So quality, there's a spirit of gentleness, and then there's a content. God's voice always sounds like Jesus, (laughs) leading us to abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the, the, the enemy comes, or sorry, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, the good shepherd, comes that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's his desire for you. In summary, Jesus' voice sounds like weighty, wise, beautiful, gentle love. It doesn't sound bullish. It doesn't come at you from a place of fear or shame or worldly guilt just to make you feel bad instead of leading you to life. And if it doesn't align with the way and the words of Jesus, it's not the voice of God a little bit of a litmus test for you. So you may be going, all right, Paulson, well, it's wonderful. What do do we do with that? Really glad you asked. Um, Here's three things. Stop. 
And I know based on schedule, that's harder for some than others, but I, I think A.J. Sherrill says it really, really well in his book, Quiet. He says, stillness is the forgotten teacher within a society of perpetual movement. Like one of the things that you can do in revolt against a cultural moment that says more, 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 is just stop and embrace silence, embrace solitude, carve out times to read scripture, not with agenda, but just to hear the voice of God, practice Sabbath. Maybe it means just going for a walk with, by yourself or with your family or with some friends and just talking to Jesus as you talk to each other. Stop. Second, receive. Receive. If you want to till the soil of your soul to hear from God, can I invite you to embrace a posture of, gener- or of, of gratitude? God has been ridiculously generous to you. And you can go, well, yeah, but here's all the things that have happened in my life. I get it, but just for one moment, just, just do this, okay? It's grace. It's all grace. It's all gift. And yeah, things didn't turn out perfectly. And yeah, there were some people that were evil to you. And I I hear you, and I don't want to minimize that. But there are the fingerprints of God and love of God and goodness of God has been chasing after you every single day of your life. Pause, recognize it. It will open your heart and your ears to hear the voice of God like nothing can. And then finally, go. Go. Stop, receive, go. All throughout, all throughout this text, we see Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice, and then they, they follow me. They don't just hear me and go, well, Jesus, wonderful, great, awesome, so glad you're speaking. No, they, they follow him. They follow him even when, even when it's a dark night, waves are beating against the boat, rain is coming down, Peter's on the edge of the boat, and he hears this one word, come. And Peter goes, here goes nothing. I don't know if it's his voice, but there's only one way I'll know. Yep, that was him. So we end our series. Life is amazing. I just want to carve out a few moments for you. And for me, to just say, God, we don't want just want to hear a message about hearing from you. We actually want to just posture our souls to hear from you. So I'd invite you to put your stuff away, and I'm going to lead us through a, a Lectio Divina, listening God-esque type of experience here, just for a few minutes. Don't look at your watch. I know Aaron went a little long. <laughs> I just want to... I just want to give you a gift, okay? A gift of just being quiet, being still. And let's just say, Jesus, we expect that you're speaking. And we want to learn to hear. Would you help us identify your voice and the voice of the others? Please. Amen. I invite you to just tune your heart, to listen to the words from the scripture, and ask that God would speak. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. As we pray, is there any 